just get right down to business. The Joe Roberts Show. This, this is The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. On today's show, we have Wesley Shaw, the business development manager of Wobi. He has a vast blockchain background, created one of the first blockchain educational institutions in China, was the director of a crypto project, went to a crypto VC fund, and today works in one of the most well-known exchanges globally. We will talk about the hottest crypto topics at the moment and get the point of view of a man that's immersed into the market. Wesley, thank you for joining us today. And why don't you kind of give us insights to how you got into the crypto market? Of course, Joe. It's my great pleasure to be on this show today. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. So I wanted to kind of explore my experiences joining to uh, the Web3 and the blockchain space in the early days. Uh, so I went to University of California, San Diego. And back in the days, you know, we, we never really had anything uh, fun to do in that university, right? Like the nickname for UCSD was UC Socially Dead. And quite honestly, it was, uh, it, it was true for me at the least. While I was studying there, you know, like uh, a couple of my friends kind of came up and then uh, we just came out about this idea of doing a decentralized research platform that is based on the blockchain and utilizing the fundamental functionality of blockchain, which it is basically, you know, recording things in progress uh, throughout life and history. So we figure, you know, historically speaking, the reward system, such as Nobel Prize winners, are oftentimes just one individual or at maximum, you know, two to three people. It never really captivate the whole amount of folks that have done the diligence, the research before this post. So we think that was unfair and we think that blockchain can resolve that issue at hand. Uh, we created then a platform that utilized virtual reality softwares to enhance scientists uh, to be able to do a small molecule drug discovery uh, inside virtual reality. So it was very early stage at the time and it was very innovative. And luckily, you know, that was uh, really captivative of the audiences as well. And at the time, we, we successfully raised an IDO. And that was how I got into the blockchain space. However, it's not to say I stopped my journey of blockchain right there and there. I feel like there's a lot more stuff that we can uh, explore in, in terms of blockchain. So I sort of uh, stumped on into doing a little bit more research on currency and transactions. Uh, so I did research on DCEP, which is digital currency, electronic payment, uh, before the digital RMB have came about in place well, together with Chinese Academy of Sciences. But of course, that was uh, so shut down as the Chinese government kind of swamped in. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it was to say the least quite interesting. And I think through that whole journey, I learned that blockchain can not only just be a monetary value storage platform, but it can also be much more than that. Very much so after the smart contract of Ethereum just came out, you see this uh, new innovative iterations of different smart contracts. Uh, including DeFi, including NFT, uh, including metaverse projects that are built on top of uh, smart contracts. And I can really see maybe in the next decade or so when our government's body would adopt uh, blockchain technologies to sufficiently vote in the regulatory bodies, it will have a great impact uh, in IP iterations such as uh, you know, music IP, scientific IPs, et cetera, et cetera. So I think our journey, or at the very least, my journey in blockchain have just started. So, so yeah, that's just kind of like an overview of my, my life and how I stumped on into the blockchain industry, to say the least. That's awesome. That's awesome. You mentioned the Chinese government. I mean, what's happening over there anyway? Are they, you know, they going to be a fan of crypto? Or are they not? Where do you see that going? 
I think with regards to that, my personal humble opinion is, again, this is like, you know, it's purely subjective. So my personal opinion is that I think every single country in this world is still relatively discovering the technology of blockchain in the very infancy stage. Whether or not we're like, I don't know if this metaphor is correctly or it's an understatement opening up the Pandora's box of, of, of the next iteration of just increasing the uh, productivity of uh, the humankind in society. I feel like Chinese government alongside with the rest of the uh, regulatory body is really exploring the methodologies behind uh, a lot of the functionalities of this new technology. And I think China is just really sensitive to new technologies, very much so like you see in the early 90s when the internet came about, uh, China was was sort of like having its own regulated and also uh, controlled uh, environment of the internet. Uh, and then you see the rest of the world have this uh, ginormous internet. But however, this two body can still be in, uh, connected through a bridge of some sort. And I feel like as long as uh, uh, China has figured out the right sufficient way of maintaining a controllable uh, blockchain, they will immediately starting to adopt and iterate. And that speed would be faster than any country in the world, mainly the US and also the whole Arab space. Because you, you can see historically how, uh, how China has adopted new technologies in the past, right? Yeah. Do you think blockchains just, they may be slow to adopt because of it actually its transparency and its honesty system? that they may not implement it so fast? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, transparency is, to say the least, a double-edged sword for many industries, right? For instance, a very simple example is when you go out there and purchase a house, right? Do you want the rest of the people other than the real estate agent uh, and the institution to know about your social security, right? Obviously not. So the idea here is that a percentage of transparency allows for justifying for the transactions. However, majority of the privacy should still be preserved. That's why we see a lot of uh, topic uh, after 2018 kind of shifted and drifted from sharding over to uh, ZK proof of some sort. So that, that enables uh, privacy to a certain degree on blockchain. And I think that's uh, really where we're heading, heading, heading to. So there's definitely some different, we'll call them buzzwords or some words here that people might not be familiar with. And you mentioned smart contracts, you're saying blockchain, and maybe they're also hearing about Web3. What does it all mean and where is it taking us? Okay, I, I personally think Web3 is a ginormous concept, uh, but what it boils down to is basically giving data back to its people. A great example of that would be if you look at right now in the traditional Web2 sort of scene is we are uh, ha handing over our personal data, whether or not that's browsing history whether or not that's purchase behaviors, whether or not that's our social graphs on Facebook when we're interacting with our friends, right? Those data are very valuable essentially to individuals and also to institutions as well, because Amazon can predict utilizing your previous purchase behavior to analyze what you wanted to purchase next and give you the right recommendations. Same thing with advertisements, right? But those are essentially, uh, if you think about it, you should own those data as an individual, right, Joe? Uh, like I should own those data if I wanted to purchase something or if I wanted to give consent to a specific institution, whether or not they should have the right of owning this data. So the idea is that we wanted to make data in the Web 3.0 space. Uh, well, this is one of the aspects of Web 3, right? So uh, we wanted to make data liquid enough 
that we are able to transact them either in bulk or in individual format. And uh, we as customers ultimately are having the right of driving this vehicle forward instead of having someone else drive this vehicle for us. So uh, that's the biggest identification between Web 2.0 and Web 3. And I think it's truly a revolution in that sense because everyone, imagine you yourself as an individual or as an institution, you're incentivized then to kind of give out consents of your data for, for research purposes, right? So you're no longer in this siloed ivory tower sort of, uh, sort of thing, and you're more in a collaborative commitment, uh, to say the least. Like, so that's why, you know, we have conversations surrounding DAO, right? Decentralized autonomous organizations, uh, et cetera, to really enhance and prepare uh, for the Web, web 3.0 scene. Yeah. So do you think like what we're maybe seeing across the globe, like some of those data privacy issues that are showing up where they're forcing certain things that have to opt in, are these kind of stepping stones to where we're going, where you're going to have the full ability to kind of opt in based on certain data aspects? Yeah, I think that would be uh, something ultimately, uh, maybe a couple of decades down the road, we'll be able to align with the regulatory body around the world. But given the, the time right now, uh, you know, like I think uh, the EU has announced uh, privacy laws a couple of years ago, uh, really trying their best to preserve. Uh, but again, um, my thinking behind, uh, behind the whole thing is that if you wanted to have like true consensus around a specific society, you all need to uh, innovate on both your regulatory stuff and also your technical side of things. So blockchain will ultimately enable that as well. Yeah. What are some use cases and examples of maybe how businesses will actually utilize Web3? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you two use cases, right? I think both of which are uh, pretty good. So I was talking with one of the largest crypto donation platform that are utilizing crypto for humanitarian purposes. And I feel like that is one of the, one of not, not the best use cases, but one of the most responsible use cases, to say the least. <laughs> and they're collaborating with bigger exchanges such as, you know, like uh, Gemini and et cetera, et cetera. And I think, uh, you know, that, that, that really proves that as long as you are able to make the whole network transparent and uh, uh, transactable, you're able to make a lot of more good than just the existing structure, infrastructure that's out there. Uh, and, you know, like anybody can essentially donate to the parties that they think they wanted to attribute without the interference of, say, a specific governing body, right? Or uh, a specific regime change or, or anything of that sort. And moving forward, I think the second one is that recently I also came across a specific DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous operation, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a body that is trying to uh, stand up for journalists. They are called True Step, right? So they basically, what they do is they essentially wanted to tip over the traditional corporate media theme uh, of, oh, you know, it's a pay-to-play game. Rather, they wanted to have like the forefront journalists that are in Ukraine, that are in South Africa, that is reporting the frontline stories to be able to truly tell what they are representing. And I think that really flips the pyramid back around. So it's no longer people who are with power or authoritative resources that can uh, put these messages out. It's the people that are at the, even at the bottom uh, layer of the society can get their voices heard. This is truly powerful. Yeah. All right. So when it comes to blockchain, usually we always start with the infrastructure 
layer and you know that's layer one blockchains what are the main features that they typically have and what role do they play i think uh for layer ones there are uh so there are a few types of layer ones the ones that are you know permission and the ones that are permissionless right uh you see ethereum uh was was uh in the early days it was proof of work and now it's like proof of stake uh, well, they're they're transitioning into proof of stake, but you know then you see Binance Smart Chain as uh, you know proof of authority, which is like you have like a specific delegated points of node to run. And I I, I basically like to say think that as a, a permission blockchain, uh, as you know like for instance blockchain service network in China they're also permission Hyperledger also permission, right? And I think we are reaching a, a tipping point of truly arguing you know whether or not true like like you mentioned earlier joe true uh, decentralization distribution uh, is really meaningful for retail uh, users right so in essence it's like you look at binance smart chain do they have like less users than ethereum oftentimes really not exactly right uh, the reason behind it is everybody knows that the gas prices it's way too high per transaction and you know, like uh, it, and scholars often debate. Oh, you know, like you lack, uh, you lack transparency, you lack uh, other stuff. But the, the reality is, okay, uh, every single transaction you pay like what 0.1 cent, and then on top of that, you get the, the maximum security because they can kind of shut it down whenever they want to, <laughs> right? That's the, that's the whole idea behind permission blockchain. And versus permissionless blockchain, it's like everything is recorded on chain. Super well, it's kind of slow at this point, and you need like layer two such as Arbitrum or like Matisse to kind of help uh, help with like structuring that I feel like ultimately the society is going to shift of uh, be more dependent on like ethereum 2.0 and whatnot but right now in in 2022 I think uh, permission blockchains are are really like more efficient and better for people to kind of use on yeah so how how would listeners you know start their research process into these layer ones and how they get an understanding from an investment standpoint, maybe what to look for, and ultimately what may be here five years from now. Yeah, that's a very good question, Joe. Uh, and I think you know, uh, if you are a listener that are just stomping onto blockchain, obviously you need to uh, learn from the, the the granddaddy, right? First of all, <laughs> you have to learn from Ethereum, Bitcoin, right? The mechanisms behind it, what is Merkle tree, how does blockchain works, et cetera. Once you have a basic understanding of that, you can look into other layer ones, such as like how Binance Smart Chain came about. What is, uh, you know, Cosmos? Like what is Tendermint's ecosystem, right? Like how does uh, IDC work? And then uh, essentially you can go into like Avalanche, Solana, right? Like why, how, how does a Solana kind of comes about this idea or this notion of the chain for NFT and metaverse, right? Like, is it because there are hackers on? Is it, is it because there are technologies behind it? Like different chains have different eras and they're growing into different niches. It's not to say like, oh, you know, like Binance Smart Chain is good at like DeFi, like metaverse NFT. Uh, not really. I feel, I feel like in the future, there will be a multi-chain ecosystem where one chain is more sufficient than the other, right? So, so that's kind of like my answer uh, in terms of like research uh, into into layer ones. Uh, what was your second question again, Joe? So if they go out there and identify these blockchains, as you just mentioned, and they're kind of trying to get an understanding from also an investment standpoint and the token involved, what are some three things that they could go about in making that decision and which ones may be here in five years? 
Oh, okay, awesome. Uh, yeah, so uh, the way I think about it is like finding quantitative data that can represent and you can put a side-by-side -side comparison is probably the most rational and most logical. So for instance, right, like a specific chain, if you're looking for uh, chains that are, uh, you know, DeFi focused, then what are their TVLs, right? Ethereum, you look at it, how much TVL does it have? Uh, if you're looking for a specific layer one that is GameFi focused, then how much daily active users those chains have for each one of their top hit games, right? Like Harmony, DeFi Kingdom, for instance, right? Uh, and if you're looking for other like metaverses, is Sandbox collaborating with them? Is Decentraland collaborating with them, right? The quantifiable metrics that could truly measure out how successful these chains are, or you know how how enthusiastic the team is moving forward in the next five years, what their roadmaps are. I think those are uh, bullet points that uh, I maybe wanted to tackle as an individual uh, when I'm doing my own due diligence and research. So so yeah, like going into five years or like the next decade, which layer one is still gonna be around? To be completely transparent, nobody knows. If anybody that tells you he's a blockchain expert and he he or she knows about like which layer one is gonna sustain like in the next five to ten years. I don't think they're expert. Right? Like I don't think they're an expert in blockchain right now. And quite frankly, maybe uh, in the next five years, no one would really be an expert unless you're like Satoshi Nakamoto himself, right? <laughs> but yeah, like um, I want to say the chain that has the most chances would probably be Ethereum, right? Uh, it's the granddaddy of smart contracts. So yeah, that kind of answers uh, all three parts of the question. You also mentioned like where certain chains, based on maybe partnerships, might serve certain niches right i mean do you think there may just be a handful of like we'll call them trillion dollar ecosystems and then a bunch of chains that are serving certain sectors absolutely absolutely it's like the, in the traditional web 2.0 web space uh you see this uh exactly the same right like it's like uh google uh, google is a big company that has the venture arm it has, they do search engine they have advertisement they also have social right like it's they're this ginormous ecosystem that enables multi-trillion dollar marketplaces. However, do you say that there's no other companies that's competing with Google on some of their sectors and are doing better? Uh, absolutely not, right? Like I feel like Bloomingberg is doing better than uh, on news than, than the Google News team probably, right? A16Z is probably doing better than the uh, the investment team on, on Google Ventures side, right? I just feel like, yeah, of course, there's going to be this iconic layer one, which most likely going to be Ethereum, but there's also going to be a diversified of layer ones that are uh, going to stand around it and uh, sustain and becoming an integral part of the society and the ecosystem. That's awesome. Let's roll into, you know, last year where we've seen a lot of hype is around meme coins, right? Yeah. We've seen some, you know, some people get really rich from them. We've seen uh, it drive awesome creative TikTok videos and, you know, everything across the different platforms. Where do you think all this hype comes from? And what do you think is the rational, are they rational investments? Uh, first of all, I can tell you immediately, in my humble opinion, I don't think this are rational investments. <laughs> the reason behind it is if you look at any, like the rationale behind any investment, would it be like, you know, what is the utility use case? What is the physical use case of this particular assets? 
the price rate uh, does not justify for the investment. I mean, in the early days, you know, back in Hong Kong, we used to tip the waiter and waitresses with Dogecoin for blockchain adoption. Now, that's that's of course that's a use case, utility use case. But does it justify for it to go up a hundred x or two hundred x? Right now, that's irrational. I'm not saying Dogecoin should not have value. I'm saying the value went up significantly higher than what most people would anticipate. And uh, you look at it is like the volatility of Dogecoin had like it's just it's just ridiculous. And <laughs> and to be quite frankly, I do believe there are uh, quite a few uh, big institutional players that are, to say the least, manipulate. Uh, of course, that's kind of like my assumption of like why the volatility. But of course, there there should be some sort of institution behind this whole momentum of things. That is not to say I'm completely denying meme coins or, or for that matter, all coins. Why I feel like this is actually a very interesting time of, of history as well, right? It's like you are seeing a lot more external crypto people that are jumping onto the bandwagon because, uh, because of Dogecoin and because of other meme coins. And the reality is they rep- like the Dogecoin, I believe it, it sort of resonated with this folks as early day Bitcoin uh, because the price, they don't look at the total circulation. They look at the price of, uh, of per token and it's at 0.001. And a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, Dogecoin is going to go to go to the moon, go to a dollar, go to ten dollars. But like, what's your rationale behind it? You know, Dogecoin is an inflationary uh, token metrics. Well, with each year, you know, it's gonna like hundreds of millions of new tokens is gonna mint out from the contract, right? Uh, like, there's no, there, there's honestly absolutely no justification for uh, for this momentum. But yeah, to say the least, I feel like the biggest utility of Dogecoin and Mintcoin is to be able to draw in a lot of of new users or adoption into the blockchain space. Adoption. <laughs> yeah. Do you see how maybe some of these projects can actually turn into valuable projects in the future? Or what do you think? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, like, I, I feel like the whole notion behind Elon Musk is claiming that Dogecoin can be used as a legal t- tender to, for you to kind of purchase uh, Tesla cars with what was that sort of uh, was that sort of coins? I think as more companies starting to adopt this mem coins, I guess then it will have more utility value, right? Like you look at Bitcoin, that was how it got adopted early in the early days. I remember going to conferences around like Swiss, Hong Kong. Uh, there would be like vendors and you know restaurants, hotels that would accept Bitcoin as a form of payment, and that's essentially how Bitcoin came about to uh, serve its adoptability. Let alone you know Silk Road and all that kind of uh, darknet uh, momentum that is pushing it forward. Do you think some of these holders that are holding these meme coins are the true hodlers in the space, and they're creating community around these meme coins? Well, yeah, if they're holding uh, and they can justify why they're holding and if they can create a community voice around it, like marketing campaign around it, for instance, uh, you know, I'm raising money for Ukraine using Dogecoin. Then why the heck not? I think this is a great effort and I think this is a great utilization of blockchain technology uh, or, or adoption to say the least, right? I look at Dogecoin the same way I look at uh, I look at Bitcoin the same way I look at Litecoin the same way I look at any peer-to-peer transaction uh, utility tokens with no other functionalities other than just transactions, right? Yeah, and so now people obviously might be looking to purchase these tokens, so they they have the opportunity to maybe go to centralized exchanges, right? And that's kind of your world and where you're coming from. So 
over the last couple of years, we've seen also decentralized exchanges or, or players like Uniswap or SushiSwap come to the market. And then we also see regulatory framework discussed, especially in the US this year, right? But also across the globe. Ultimately, where do you see these exchanges going and what role will the centralized play and what role will decentralized maybe play in the marketplace? Mm, I feel like there's ultimately going to be a, a uphill battle uh, between the uh, the centralized exchanges, uh, you know, fighting against the regulatory regime all across the world. But to say the least, I feel like centralized has its own perks. We uh, can provide, you know, on off ramp fiat. Uh, uh, on ramp and off ramp, uh, and then you know, decentralized it it provides uh, anonymity, and also of course, at this moment, like I just feel like there are much more uh, token options on on decentralized exchanges, whereas centralized exchanges we evaluate, we do the diligence uh, to make sure that tokens that are listed on this centralized exchanges uh, performing the best they possibly could. Now I feel like ultimately though, it may be like couple of decades uh, down the road, uh, I, I hope my boss does not kill me uh, while I'm saying this, right? Is that centralized exchanges, in my opinion, will vanish in the dust of history. The reality behind it is because you look at decentralized exchanges. Right? I don't know if you were around back in 2017, Joe, but East Delta, right? Like that was the very first centralized exchange oh. uh, with shitty ass interfaces and, and not a lot of people are utilizing it. Nobody really thought, hey, you know, centralized decentralized exchanges would be a big ginormous thing in 2020 or 2021, like when DeFi came about. Uh, that's because the iterations, right? Uh, can you imagine in the next five years how significant improvement of decentralized exchanges will be? Will they be more uh, more functionalities added? Like you know, DYDX, so if you say the least, right? They they are much faster uh, now nowadays with the uh, starkware uh, implementation, and they are they're much more sufficient in usage. So I, I feel like as more of the centralized market maker players, institutions are realizing, hey, maybe it's not quite necessary that we need to hop on uh, with centralized exchanges. We can just do all this volume on decentralized exchanges. Then ultimately, uh, to say the least, the centralized exchanges will no longer be a service that is provided to retail. But that is not to say we will not be around. We can be still a off uh, a fiat on ramp off ramp solution uh, to most of the retail customers and uh, to our institu institution customers, at, uh, to say the least. Right? Do you think regulatory framework and guidelines will actually keep centralized exchanges in business due to maybe some? stuff they might try to implement on those parties on the decentralized side? I believe so. Yeah, I think regulatory bodies are, well, in the U.S., I mean, again, this is a bit controversial, uh, but, you know, I like controversial, uh, controversial topics, right? I feel like U.S. is a capitalistic society where, you know, if you are a ginormous institution with a huge amount of money, you're able to lobby for whatever you kind of like deem to say correct, uh, even even though it might not be. <laughs> we see this time and time again with different lobbyists, uh, but, the, you know, like weapon manufacturers, right? Like the reality is like you look at Binance, it's, it's a massive ecosystem. System CZ is like probably the richest man in the in the in the whole crypto space, and you know like what uh, what was disclosed was 90, he he have ninety billion dollar worth of asset, but you know that is not to account his Bitcoin and also his you know other assets, and you know it's easy to kind of like kind of move forward with and just pour money to pay the lobbyists uh, to kind of make sure you know like all this regulatory stuff is set in place 
And of course, in China, you will see the same uh, same thing. But China would be a little different. I, I believe there will be a state-owned uh, centralized exchange, to say the least, that is going to enable all of the decentralized exchange uh, functionalities, but yet uh, still have like a backdoor monetization of like what coins is, is going to get listed and what coins are not. That's very interesting. So for those that are doing due diligence on exchange tokens, whether it's decentralized or it's centralized, what are some factors they should be looking at that ultimately might help drive the utility of the token and then the price over the next five years too? Well, the factors uh, while I'm doing my fair share of due diligence is that really the number one thing I, I look is not exactly how robust or bootstrapped your uh, your technology is, is really truly your team. Because in an industry that is this uncertain, uh, both in regulatory, as you mentioned earlier, Joe, uh, but uh, but also a huge amount of uncertainty moving forward uh, in the next five to 10 years, you need to believe in yourself, your convictions, and also your team. And second thing is like the team efficiency, right? Like if you are thinking about developing this and that you don't, you don't turn around in like three to five months and your community is asking for it, well, like, I don't think the team in that sense would be successful. Uh, second thing other than the team category would honestly be the way they curate their community. And of course, so community marketing operations, uh, the way they are able to uh, drive consensus moving forward. And if you look at the reason why I think this is tremendously important is because you look at early day projects that are successful, even up until this specific cycle of crypto, many of the, the projects that are deemed successful have fostered a great consensus around their project, whether or not that's Polkadot whether or not that's EOS, whether or not that's Filecoin, right? We see this time and time again with great projects that are having their curated market and also a community that really believe truly with what their project is trying to do. Uh, even if their project went down to like 90 to, to a, like 99%, there still is a strong representation of like a great supporter. And I think the magic here was decentralized projects uh, with full autonomous is that you would have uh, developers, community supporters to help your project out even when the team is no longer uh, really working on that. And that's the true momentum that's pushing any blockchain project forward. And is there anything you know between the multiple different centralized exchanges and their tokens that would drive certain utility and value in the future more than another exchange? Well, there are obviously the, the top centralized exchange chain right now is Binance Smart Chain. I do believe that it also like, so uh, the Binance Smart Chain success story has a huge uh, factor with Binance as exchange putting their name behind it. And I think the the brand is is extremely crucial. So if you think, uh, I, I feel like the amount of resources that, Binance has poured into Binance Smart Chain is just incredible, right? Like, uh, I feel like obviously us as well, we have a strong backed uh, layer one. It's, it's not to say like, it, it is still a layer one, meaning it's fully decentralized, right? But there are supports uh, and efforts that we as an institution from Hobby that kind of gives out uh, for this different institutions or, or for this layer ones. And I feel like ultimately, uh, it's just depending on uh, the centralized exchanges brand image, right? Like if you're saying like, 
a bottom tier exchange that are trying to build a like layer one. And I, I don't think that would work extremely well given you know their presence in this space. But yeah, like just look at the top 10 exchanges. Whoever is coming out to publicly and saying that they are supporting a new layer one of some sort, I think that is something you can kind of really, really take a look at. All right. So when it comes to exchanges, we starting to see over the last few months, some of them starting to offer what has been hot and new over last year, and that's NFTs, right? Are NFTs a hype cycle right now? Where are they going? What's it going to look like? I think right now would it be considered a hype cycle, especially with Yoga Lab's recent announcement of the April gaming of, uh, of ApeCoin or, or ApeCoin utility use cases. NFTs have uh, drastically been uh, undervalued, in my opinion. Uh, the reason behind it is there are just like a lot of utility use cases of NFT that, that could be justified. Uh, for instance, music IPs, right? And for instance, like legal IPs and scientific IPs, all that can be represented in a uh, you know, format of NFT. It's not to say, oh, you know, I own a board apes. It can be my uh, Tinder profile or my, <laughs> or, or, or my like, you know, Facebook profile to say the least. It's actually much, much more than that. And I feel like if you are able to curate your NFT around three specific values, the physical value of it, the digital value of it, and also the speculative value of it, the NFT project will deem to be success. And I think this is very, very interesting moving forward as well. Yeah. You mentioned hype cycle and different aspects. Where do you think, to give us an idea, NFTs will have like the most impact? If you were to set, look five years out again, right now, what do you think? I think honestly, like the next few years, would it, would it, just like from this year on out, NFT is going to be more acceptable by mainstream. Whether or not that's like you know your local gym utilizing an NFT as your monthly membership, right? That's that that can be a utility use case for a, of a particular NFT or uh, big IP iterations, or for instance, like a specific movie, right? When they're coming out, and and Disney is like, hey, why don't we raise money utilizing this IP, and then uh, we will pay the royalties back to all of the investors. This could be an idea, right? So 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 when you are mentioning a hype cycle, I feel like. Hype cycle work in different format. Like Mimcoin could have like a hype cycle of three months. And you know, Bitcoin could have a hype cycle of like over the next hundred years. And I feel like NFT as a category or as a niche uh, is going to be at least around for the next like 30 to 40 years. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so right now, where do you see exchanges, centralized exchanges playing a role in the NFT market and trading these different assets? Absolutely. So obviously, we are closely monitorizing different NFT marketplace behaviors, including OpenSea, uh, LuxRare, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, Binance and Coinbase have recently came out and announced that they're going to have NFT marketplaces as well. Uh, Hobby, we have our own NFT marketplaces too. So uh, now you can see the trend, right? Like what the pattern here is everybody is having the, uh, a gateway of NFTs so they can closely monetize what are some of the NFT projects that's, that's about to come out. Now, that is not to say we are just an NFT marketplace. We also wanted to kind of find the next big thing, the next big IP or the next big NFT that is very similar to like uh, CryptoPunk, uh, similar to like Bored Apes or, or anything for that matter. All right. And I guess let's go to you know one of our last 
topics here where our listeners are always listening in the most, and that is their holdings, the market update. What is happening? What they should be doing? Let's start with the cycle may appear a little bit differently than the last cycle. You know, as we're seeing different assets come to market and they're kind of cycling at different times. DeFi has already been down for over a year. I mean, let's take 2022 and kind of what do you forecast to see in this year? And, you know, maybe some thoughts of how people should look at this market. Yeah, uh, a little bit forecast of this year. I feel like a more, more like, uh, as we mentioned earlier, NFTs and NFT marketplaces, if they have tokens, uh, those are the things that I would look for. More of a like a decentralized theme of NFT trading trading pl- uh, marketplaces like Luxrare. Uh, I, 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 I would think that would be uh, something I would pay close attention to. Other than NFTs, I believe that layer two, uh, especially optimistic roll-up uh, tokens that would resolve a specific underlying pain point of Ethereum layer one, such as uh, Matisse or, or Matic, uh, right? Uh, so all those tokens would still like uh, have its own fair share. Uh, number three, what I look into is more of a, what I like to call blue chips in the industry, right? What are blue chips? I think uh, Cosmos, Chainlink, obviously, you know, every single every single one needs like a, a, a Oracle to say the least. And Chainlink is literally one of the best Oracles out there. And also, uh, you know, Polkadot, uh, those would be something I personally would be uh, holding a bag of. But, you know, uh, at the end of the day, like this is uh, not financial advice by any means. I'm not a financial advisor of any sort. I just want to uh, give some insights of what I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking at right now. Yeah. Yeah. What p- people don't understand is no one can predict the future, right? Because otherwise we would all be rich as hell, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Let's leave off with like the next three to five years again. Where do you see the sectors or segments that are going to maybe outperform others and why? Next three to five years, I feel like definitely aim for a project. I feel like DeFi, GameFi, uh, they are just skimming the surface of the blockchain industry. They're still, they're fun and innovative to say the least, but they're not, they're not game changers. Game changers are, you're looking at like, uh, infra level SDK, you know, whether or not that's like a new layer one of some sort, like a modular blockchain that is able to increase security efficiency by a hundred, a thousand X. I'm just, for example, I don't know like whether or not that project is in, in existence yet, but I have high face, strong face of seeing that kind of project showing up to life. The next uh, is uh, basically metaverse project. I do believe that as we are uh, hitting the plateau of utilizing, uh, you know, like cell phones, human society will shift itself into the metaverse. Uh, so I recently actually made a purchase of a uh, Oculus a pair of glasses, or my friend gave it to me for my birthday, and and I tried it out. I'm like, holy fuck, this is actually way better than you know, like just uh, Oculus glasses uh, like four or five years ago. I would undoubtedly see a lot more interaction of people in the metaverse with the impact of COVID-19 amongst like, you know, all this like more lenient corporate notion of that you can work from home. So why the heck not of more interaction in the metaverse then, right? So that's awesome. So let's, uh, metaverse is obviously where we see a lot of capital flow right now. So follow the money, right? All the money and uh, look at Republic. Republic Venture recently announced uh, their 500 million metaverse real estate fund. Really? Yeah. 
or, or something like that. Yeah, but it's like a separate entity from Republic. And I feel like that's a very smart move uh, to get in early. I think ultimately metaverse uh, real estate would have its own like uh, idea or its own like industrial influence in the, in the space. So I'll buy, like, if I were you, Joe, I'll, I'll probably go in and uh, go into Sandbox or Metaverse and start buying some properties up there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's leave off with our last and final question. That is, what is the biggest thing that you have implemented in your life that has helped increase your net worth? Well, one of the things that I have increased my networks tremendously is really curiosity and keep on learning. You know, like I think... Uh, this industry, if you look at it, a lot of people in the industry is young and they are ambitious. They have all, like a lot of energy just kind of walk around uh, the world and talk with different folks, interact with projects. And that's that's how I was. Uh, <laughs> well, I no longer, it's not that I don't want to, I just don't have the energy or uh, to upkeep the momentum. Uh, but I still love to read articles. I still like to uh, you know, get curious about different knowledges, especially in the in this space, right? I like to ask a lot of questions. I, I ask why, what, when, how, right? Those are key questions to ask. And I think uh, people in this space, luckily, uh, it's still early. So uh, what you see in earlier industries is people tend to help each other out. And I think that's uh, that's what really I really enjoy keep continuously working in this industry as well. Awesome. I appreciate coming on today. And for all the listeners that may want to get a hold of you or follow you, what's the best way for them to do that? My Twitter handle is Wesley underscore Sha, X-I-A. My, my Telegram handle is BTC Master underscore 985. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can always look for me and just kind of talk to me. I'll be there for you. I appreciate coming on today. Thank you. Of course. All right, Joe. Appreciate it. And thank you very much. Joe Roberts Show.